You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are really glad that you're here. Isn't it better to be here than at Publix? Right, so good. And uh, you see anything good on the news lately? Um, No, listen, honestly, I was at Publix on Tuesday. And uh, I was with my youngest daughter, Livy, who's eight, who um, is probably the funniest of my three kids. She's got this crazy sense of humor. I don't know where she got it, but she got it. Now, just to kind of give you an idea of Livy's sense of humor, um, my brother, my stepbrother's an actor, and uh, he's been on a bunch of shows lately. And so last year, he was on an episode of NCIS. And so we all, as a family, watched the episode. And so we're, we're watching it, and, and, so, and he was great, and he was hilarious. Um, so the episode is all these people live in this cul-de-sac, and one of them killed um, uh, someone. And so one of the people that live in the cul-de-sac was the killer. And so we're watching the episode, and Livy's trying to figure out who is the person who did it. And she says to me, and she says, Dad, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it could be this guy. It could be this guy. I know it wasn't your brother. He's so nice when he comes to our house. He'd never kill anyone. And uh, so anyway, let's give you an idea. So back to Publix. So we're in the dairy aisle, and I'm picking up like some shredded cheese and uh, a couple other things. And uh, it's, if you've been to the grocery store lately, you know it's packed. And so we're there picking up four or five things. And um, Livy uh, starts coughing in the, uh, she starts coughing in the dairy aisle. She's like, <coughs> she's like, man, dad, that coronavirus is really getting to me. And uh, <laughs> that place cleared out. And I, I'm telling you, I said to her, and I'm like, I have never loved you more than I do right now. And uh, so good, so good. So now, uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, part, listen, part of the challenge that we face as Christians uh, living in this world is that, uh, you know, the world that we live in is kind of on the verge of hysteria all the time. And um, as Christians, that's not supposed to be us. We're supposed to be the ones who have a peace that surpasses understanding, people that are living by faith, people that have wisdom in difficult circumstances. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing his final letter to his protege, Timothy, I mean, he was in prison knowing that he was going to be executed soon after. He writes this letter. In the beginning of the letter, uh, he says this. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, as Christians, we talk a lot about God's power, and we're constantly talking about God's love, but I think that we don't talk about having a sound mind enough. Uh, in the original language, the Greek language in which the New Testament was written in, this, this word, sound mind, refers to a disciplined mind. It refers to a self-controlled mind. And, and listen, I, I don't, this is how you know that a lot of people aren't in their right mind when it comes to the coronavirus, is that this is an upper respiratory virus, and our response to that has been to stockpile toilet paper. And so this is not even a virus that makes you go to the bathroom. 
And so, but this is like, and if, if we were running out of Flonase, I'd be like, all right, not, Charmin doesn't make any sense. But so, but part of the problem is, listen, can I just be honest, right? This is a little PSA for all of us. Like, don't get your medical updates from social media. That guy you went to high school with that's posting everything on, on, online, like that, he's not a reputable source. You didn't even like him in high school to begin with. So why are you getting medical advice from him? And so, but here's what I, here's what I really want to talk about uh, that I think is so important. I really believe that right now can be our finest moment as a church, as the church. You see, we can be calm. We can be informed. We can be prepared yet full of faith to help and reflect the person of Jesus in our community. I really believe this can be our finest moment. This can be the moment where the world sees the difference between Christians who have hope, Christians that have peace in the midst of a storm in the world who lacks it completely. This is why as Christians, we can't freak out like everybody else. Should we be prepared? Of course. But we have to do, listen, as Christians, we are, um, the, the scriptures impose wisdom on us. I mean, you've got to actually avoid wisdom if you're a person who reads the scriptures. And so, but we have to do the wise thing in all circumstances. But we have a moment in history where people are afraid, feel out of control, and need hope. And can I tell you something? That as followers of Jesus, this should be our wheelhouse. This should be the thing that it's like we were built for moments like these. And so what I want to do is take you to a, a passage that's very familiar. It's actually, uh, if you were here four and a half years ago, before we did our grand opening, we did one service before our grand opening, and that was, this is the passage I taught on. And um, it's amazing to me how this lesson uh, that the scriptures want to teach us never goes out of style because we need to be reminded of who we are. I feel like in some cases right now, we find ourselves like Simba in The Lion King uh, where you know he, he, he runs after his father Mufasa has died and he's hanging out with Pumbaa and Timon in the, in the jungle trying to forget who he really is. And then, you know, if you haven't, spoiler alert, if you haven't, well, no spoiler, the movie came out 30 years ago. You either saw it or you didn't, all right? So the, the movie has come out twice. So if you missed it, it, that's on you, all right? So, but you know that there's this moment where Mufasa appears to him and He's, and, and, and Mufasa, in his best Darth Vader voice, says, you are my son, the one true king. And then he says, remember who you are. And that becomes the theme of, of Simba's life from, from that moment. And, and I believe that this is really God's message for us, to, for us to remember and acknowledge who we are, that you are a child of God, you are Jesus' ambassador, you are filled with the Holy Spirit to do good work that shines a light before men and causes them to glorify their Father in heaven. And so, what we're gonna do is look at, I believe, a text that should be defining for us. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13. A lot, most of us have read it. A lot of us have, know it by heart, but let's, I want to read it, and um, we're going to drill down on this for a few minutes. It says in verse 7 that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, I really believe that this idea of faith, hope, and love, this reality, these attributes should be in this moment the thing that 
defines us. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us individually? What does that mean for us as families? What does that mean for us as Calvary? What does that mean for us as like the capital C global church all around the world? I believe it means three things. It means number one, that we embrace faith over cynicism. Now, when it says that love believes all things, that doesn't mean that love is foolish. That love believes whatever anybody tells them. And it's like, hey, you know that they took gullible out of the dictionary and now we're supposed to believe that because love believes all things. No, what it's saying is, is that love does not operate out of suspicion. It doesn't operate out of cynicism. Love does not operate out of fear. Instead, love believes the best in people. Love certainly believes the best in God's plan for people and for us. It believes all things. It hopes all things. King David, when he was on the run from Saul, the king was trying to kill him. Even though God had anointed him to be king, he's um, sitting in an area called En Gedi, uh, which is in the southern part of Israel, and he writes this song that we call Psalm 27, and here's what it says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this, I will be confident. You see, embracing faith over fear is simply, it's the act of actively pressing into faith rather than allowing fear to envelop you. Because listen, fear is simply faith in reverse. People who live in fear that, I mean, they, they have strong faith because they ju- their faith is simply belief that every bad scenario is going to become a reality. And that's why the word worry, the, our English word worry comes from a German word originally, which means to strangle. And that's what worry does. It strangles us. And, and there's this, this interesting thing about uh, fear and, and worry is, is that it chokes out faith. It chokes out trust. I had these two friends in high school that didn't like each other. And it was such a weird thing that they had this dispute. This dispute went on for like two years. And so, but we still had the same group of friends. But what would happen is every time that we were hanging out and then one of them came in, the other would immediately stand up and walk out of the room. You can imagine how weird it was going to the movies with both of them, which happened many times. And uh, it's like, because the other wouldn't acknowledge, like, will you tell so-and-so to pass the popcorn? Like, hey, you know, and it's, it was so weird. But that, anyway, I, I really needed a different group of friends. Uh, but listen, but the reality is, is that faith and fear, trust and worry are exactly the same. When one walks in, the other walks out. And it's like, well, how do I know which one is going to stay? Whichever one you feed grows. So listen, if faith isn't growing, then it's very possible that fear is the thing that we're feeding. Because faith and fear, trust and worry, both have the same thing in common. They are both asking us to believe something that has not appeared yet. Fear, my friends, is simply faith in the negative. It's it's, it's a trust that the worst thing is going to happen. I've always been fascinated by this study that the University of Cincinnati did years ago. They did this study about fear. What is it that people worry about? Here's what they found. They found that 40% of what most people worry about never happens. So right off the bat, 40%. 30% of the things people worry about is stuff that's already happened and cannot be changed. 22%
of what we worry about regard problems that are completely beyond our control, which then left 8% of what we worry about, which are situations over which we have any level of influence. That's amazing to me. More than 90% of the things we worry about are things that we have absolutely no control over or aren't going to happen or have already happened. You see, when the children of Israel were about to go into the land of promise, Moses gives these series of addresses. These series of addresses have a name. They're called the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, Moses says this to the people. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. You see, the same thing, listen, when we talk about, if we say, well, I don't want to be afraid, how do, I, uh, how do I allow faith to increase in my life? How do I not let f- fear dominate my life? What do I have to do? It's what Moses is telling the people. You've got to remind yourself that God is with you. In Isaiah chapter 41, uh, the prophet tells the people, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's how you keep building faith. That's how you keep fear at bay. Remind yourself that God is with you. You want to take it a step further? Start getting God's word into your heart, into your mind, into your very spirit. In Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, You and I have everything that we need to do God's will. Now the question just is, are we going to do it? Are we going to step out and trust that God is with us? And listen, a lot of, of us are praying for the situation to change. We want the situation to change. But I believe that while this is going on, that God wants to do something in us. I believe God wants to do something through us. And at some point, it's going to cause us to step out, to trust God, and see him do something amazing through us after he's done something amazing in us. Paul says that three things remain faith. We embrace faith over cynicism. We embrace faith over fear. The second thing is hope, and that's in your, in your notes, and that is that we embrace hope over despair. You see, hope is the thing that we probably understand the least, because as Christians, we only understand hope in the cultural sense, not in the biblical sense. We use hope like, I hope it's not going to rain. I hope the Marlins aren't going to be complete trash this year. Um, But that's not the hope. When the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about something completely different. Biblical hope is a confident assurance of something that hasn't happened yet, but absolutely will. But here's the thing that we have to understand about hope, is that not all hope is created equal. Because the object of our hope is what determines whether our hope is justified or not. So I was here yesterday. Uh, My family, we were here yesterday for a a really beautiful wedding. Two of our finest here at Calvary uh, got married, and it was uh, was amazing. And uh, although when they were pronounced husband and wife, they stopped social distancing, which I thought was a little extreme, but... He just couldn't wait to kiss her. And so I'm like, well, I guess, but that's not what the governor said. So anyway, um, but here's the thing, right? Is that uh, they rented, it was out in the front lawn and they did, they rented these really nice chairs. It was really nice. And, um, and so I saw someone sit down and they sat down and then like the chairs kind of bent a little bit and it sank. And so I go to sit down when the wedding's about to start and and now I'm a little bit nervous. 
because I'm like, I do not want to cause that scene, right? I don't know if you've ever had that. I've never had that, thankfully, but that is just like a fear, you know. Um, I used to weigh 280 pounds. Um, now I weigh 277, but um, no, I don't. But I, anyway, so I've had like all these like fat guy fears for much of my life. And so, um, but so I sit down. And so I did this. And I don't know if you've ever had this moment where you're sitting, but you're not really sitting where you're kind of sitting down, but what you're really doing is like tightening your quads as much as you can because you're not putting your full weight on the chair because you're not really sure whether that, that chair is going to hold you or there's going to be something so memorable about that wedding. They're like, oh, that was the wedding where the chair exploded under Pastor Bob, that we remember that. that he was, you know, it was like one Twinkie too many. And so, and so anyway, it, which was okay. So I'm, I'm sitting kind of on the chair. It's got part of my weight, but not all my weight. And then after like a minute or two, um, you know, like my legs are on fire. And uh, I mean, it was like best workout I got all week. And, uh, but I, my, and I'm just doing it. And then I saw this other guy and, and he was a little bigger than me. And he just like plopped down, not like, like violently sat. Have you ever have that? People don't just sit, but they are like testing the science that built that chair. Uh, and he just went boom and sat. And I saw him and I'm like, man, first of all, whoever designed that chair, <laughs> there should be a holiday after you. Uh, that thing was quality constructed. And when he sat down and, I, and it, it held up, I was like, <sighs> I, just, I was able to just let it go. Why? Here's why. Because the object of my hope was something I could fully trust. Listen, our hope isn't just anchored in anything. It's not anchored in wishful thinking. It's not anchored in just something that we want to be true. Our hope as Christians is anchored in a reality that Jesus rose from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead and we can anchor our hope in the reality of his resurrection, here's what that means. That means that because he rose from the dead, that every word that he spoke can be trusted and that we can hitch our wagon to everything that he said. And one of the things that he said is in the gospel of John chapter 16, where he said this, he said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So we embrace faith over cynicism, faith over fear. We embrace hope over despair. But Paul said three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the last thing I want to talk about is that we embrace love over apathy. Now, uh, the thing you have to understand about the New Testament is that it was written in the Greek language, and some of you know that. Uh, but the Greek language that the New Testament was written in is such a robust language. And if you've been here at Calvary for a while, you know, you've talked about this, uh, or I've talked about this to you. And that is, um, our common English vernacular is about one million words. The vernacular of the New Testament, the, the Greek New Testament, is 32 million words. It is a really robust language, which is why we have one word for love. They have four different words for love, depending on what it is that you love. So they have a love that's just, um, you know, for friendship, for brotherly love. It's this word phileo. It's where we get our English word phileo fish, interestingly enough. And um, 
There's a word for like parental love, natural love. It's called storge is is the word in in the Greek language. There's a word for romantic love. It's the word eros, where we get our word uh, erotic. And then there's a word for unconditional love. It's this word agape, or literally agapeo in in Greek. And um, it is a self-sacrificial love, the kind of love that God has for us, the kind of love that God desires for us to have for others. Because, but this is a love that is selfless. This is a love that is so far beyond a feeling, but this word is built into it, is action. That's why um, the apostle Peter, one of Jesus's 12 disciples, he said it this way. He said, and above all, have a fervent agape, a fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Now that word fervent speaks of muscles that are being pushed to the limit. It's about exerting maximum effort. Why? Because really loving is hard. That's why couples that get married struggle sometimes in the first six months after they get married because they thought it was going to be easy. Anybody experienced that? Yeah, of course you did. Why? Because loving you is not easy. That's why. You're like, what, really? No, I'm not saying strong. I, I, I meant that for your spouse. Um, and so... It is it like loving is not easy. Loving takes work. It takes a fervent love, muscles that are pushed to the maximum for love to work. So um, probably about five, my, my oldest daughter Mia is 13, so she was about seven at the time. And so uh, I was walking by our family room at the house and she's very frustrated. And I asked her, I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, the TV isn't working. So I said, all right, let's look. And so we go to a, the other TV in our house and I turn it on. I'm like, and I'm changing channels. I'm like, look, everything seems to be fine. She's like, no, I'm trying to use the TV. I, I'm, I'm trying to watch this show, but it's not on demand. And, um, and, and so I, I have to explain to her that sometimes things aren't on demand. And, and she's just like, what do you mean? And I'm like, Mia, let me explain something about life. Um, there was a time, now this is old guy talk, Uh, There was a time that there was no on-demand. There was just TV, and it was either on, and you watched it, or you missed it, and it was gone forever. And then, uh, and there there was a time when there weren't remotes, and uh, I was the remote in my house. Like, there was a time that there were, like, four channels, and there was a time, listen, some of you guys have no idea. I'm blowing your mind right now. There was a time when TV ended. Like at 11 o'clock after the evening news, they would play the national anthem. And then, right, and then it would just end. TV was over for the day. And it wouldn't show up until six in the morning. And so because there was no remote, the only remote in my house was me. And so we'd be sitting on the couch and my parents would say, Robertico, cambia eso. And uh, I get up and then I'd say, and I'd start changing channels. And then, listen, oh, because it's like now we have like, oh, is this cable, cable fiber optic? No, we had none of that. We had bunny ears. And if you were like me and grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, right, we didn't have bunny ears. We had a wire hanger. You had a wire hanger that you kind of jammed into this and you didn't know if you were going to get shocked. And then you had Reynolds Wrap 
wrapped around, and then your parents were like, okay, move them out. Move one up. Move it in. Move the other one back. Move it forward. Move it there. And then I remember saying to them, and this look, I'm like, look, it doesn't work. And they're like, stop. It's working now. Put your arm up. Okay, stay there until the commercial break. This is why we have low self-esteem. I'm telling you. And so, (laughs) it's like human grounding. This is what I was as a child. And so, if you're willing to work that hard on love, that's a love that never fails. Because a fervent love bears all things. It protects, it fights, it covers, it overlooks offenses, it forgives. Listen, in a phrase, it bears the weight. Um, When we were building this building five years ago, one of the things that I learned And you know this about your house, but I learned this as we were literally building it. And there are walls in this building that are just dividers, like just nice dividers, because you could tear out the wall and nothing's going to happen. But there are other walls that we call load-bearing walls, that if you tear those out, all the Legos fall. And, and, And why? And those are the ones that are immovable. And this is one of the reasons why relationships go sideways and the things that we thought were love turned out not to be love because someone wasn't willing to be someone who bore the weight of the relationship. And if we aren't willing to bear all things, the structure is going to crumble. And that doesn't matter if it's a building, a friendship, or a marriage. What causes love to last is a commitment to bear all things. That's why I believe This is our moment as the church. It's our moment to be marked by faith, hope, and love that when people are posting and talking about hysteria, we have the opportunity to walk in wisdom and be marked by love. Listen, the New Testament, there was no stockpiling in the New Testament church. Instead, they helped each other. They served each other. They loved each other. There was no repeating of misinformation. Instead, there was encouraging each other based on the things that they knew to be true. And even in all of this, we can be grateful. And I know that that's challenging as there's uncertainty. But you know, it's interesting. When things are normal, we desire the extraordinary. But then when we get broken out of our norm, We desire the ordinary. It's like when a hurricane comes. Well, hurricanes don't come here. There's the hysteria of hurricanes, and then it never happens, but that's a a sermon for another time. Um, But when there's the hurricane scare, and then everything is closed for a couple of days, all we want is for things to go back to normal because disruption has a way of creating gratitude in us, right? I'm telling you, you close... Uh, things down for a couple days, you will see people so grateful for over, overpriced Starbucks coffee. And the, before the disruption, they were like, I'm going to boycott Starbucks and I'm not going to go. You've got all your reasons to why you're not going to go and uh, apparently hasn't put them out of business yet. Uh, but then after the storm, you're so readily lining up so that you can get your venti, triple, non-fat, double whip, caramel drizzle, no foam macchiato with three Splenda, please. All right. <laughs> You got to have that. Why? Because that's what disruption does. It makes us grateful for the ordinary. You know what else disruption does? 
It causes us to have conversations with people we probably would have never spoken to. I want to tell you something. People are so open right now. The media makes it sound like we're on the verge of killing each other, but disruption reveals that most people are willing to help each other. They're just a little bit scared. And God uses disruption in our lives to mold us, to change us, and cause us to give thanks for things that we tend to not give thanks for. You see, when Jesus gave his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he had just said so much about everything and what it really means, what it really looks like to walk with God. He gets to the end and he shows us something, this amazing picture. He says this in Matthew chapter seven. He says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Can I tell you something? That the storm comes to everyone. Just because you're a Christian doesn't exempt you from the storms of life. No, the storm comes to everyone. The only difference is what happens when the storm hits us. What will it find? People who are founded on the rock. They have faith, they have trust because we have anchored everything onto the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus. Or are we building a house on sand because all we did was stockpile paper products? You see, some of us are going to get this and realize that God is giving us a moment to deepen our faith. God is giving us an opportunity to love our neighbor and reach our city. But we need to have a faith that stands, a faith that shines when others are crumbling around us. And if we do, this will be our finest hour because this becomes the moment where faith was born in others and a faith was fortified in us. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that, that you're using everything to build our faith and that all of these things are working together for good to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. And so I pray that we would be your people and rightly reflect you in this world, in this season, at this time. Give us wisdom. We prayed in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.